I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. It's funny because I'm sitting here thinking, for some reason, this seems kind of familiar, but I, I don't know that I can pull it out of my brain. Yeah, I was thinking maybe one of the movies, but yeah, I don't. You picked a hard one today. Well, it's because you guys guessed the last one in like five seconds. So (laughs) no, Megan guessed the last one in five seconds. Well, I mean. I love that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't go easy on you every week. I mean, what fun is that? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. It was pretty... I don't know. I don't know where this came from. Uh, Well, Megan, you're not going to get off that easy. I I don't don't just... I've always made Aaron um, struggle for... (laughs) minutes at a time until she gets around to it yes she has (laughs) but you know after having um basically completely messed up the uh the voyager one kind of humiliated myself there um (laughs) uh well just start just start throwing stuff out there yeah i was gonna say to I was going to say the opposite of what Megan said, and it sounded more like an episode music to me um, rather than a movie. You're on the right track. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to decide what series it would be. I don't think it's original series unless it would be in one of the the like last season or something. Aaron's showing you up, Megan. Um, I'm letting her... <laughs> I'll jump in whenever. (laughs) I've had more practice at the uh, throwing uh, little lifelines out there, and yeah, (laughs) the the these are like get it last time. In all fairness, I guess that's true. Yeah, the this is like the Enterprise, you know, firing those blind shots at uh, an invisible target. Well, that's a very poetic analogy, right? <laughs> you're making some hits, though. You're, you're, yeah. I'm just trying to decide whether it would be TNG, DS9, or Voyager. They all had kind of similar music, so they did. Yeah. See, I always have this weird thing of I want to say it's TNG because I think a lot of the music in it is a little bit more iconic, a little bit more available. But then I always want to go. But do I remember the Deep Space Nine music enough? Maybe it was Deep Space Nine. <laughs> well, you got to commit to something here. I know. 
I'll guess Deep Space Nine just to to guess one. <laughs> I was leaning I'll guess that, that series. Way. I have no idea what show, which episode, <laughs> or season. Something yeah. to do with the Dominion. There you go. <laughs> well, Megan, you're half right, which that means it's Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is Deep Space Nine. Uh, I won't make you guess the episode and stuff um that's good it's a it's not from the dominion though it's from season one um the last episode called in the hands of the prophets hmm oh okay so the season finale excellent well we we got there in the end sort of um i recognize this music too um but i don't think i've i'm not sure i've seen that episode but i've heard i feel like i've heard the music somehow Mm. Whether maybe it, it was on it one ends of the compilation getting... CDs back in the day or something. Mm, maybe. Yeah, or it gets reused in another part of Deep Space Nine or something. It was entirely possible. Yeah, it was not um, unique enough to stand out if they used it more than once. It was the most iconic track on this uh, <laughs> album that they had. All the other ones were just so like generic, bland background music this one at least had some sort of a hook to it okay well we're we're about at the six minute mark it it's not the worst um guessing job (laughs) no i've ever done definitely not (laughs) (laughs) it's not quite as bad as the random romulan music but close (laughs) no i feel like the romulan music was more iconic though than this oh yeah well speaking of romulans Hey, there you go. We're going to be talking about them today. We're, we watched um, The Balance of Terror from the original series, and it was the uh, introduction of the Romulans to Star Trek. First, though, we are going to do our episode quiz. Alright guys, it is that time, and guess who gets to go first this time, based on the rules that we set up last time? Oh, it's either me or Megan, because I know you won last time. It's whoever won, or whoever lost the worst, um, gets to go first. So, that would be uh, Megan with her three three and a half points from (laughs) last time. Yep, that'd be me! (laughs) I just kill at this game. (laughs) Okay, so first question. What kind of hairstyle did Yeoman Rand have? It was like a braided beehive kind of style, wasn't it? Very Yeoman? close. Yeah. Yeoman? Is that mm-hmm. what you said? Yeah. Did they actually say what kind of style she had? Nope. <laughs> it's just to a... observe. See, y'all <laughs> asked me all these observation <laughs> questions. It was a 60s hairstyle. I don't know what yeah. you call it. <laughs> so I'll give a half point to Aaron. Because uh, okay. it, it was a basket weave beehive. Oh. Well, how are we supposed to know that? <laughs> you have well, to I knew see it was... with your eyes. <laughs> I knew those were called beehive hairstyles. I feel like everybody I, at least yeah. knows what a beehive was. Um. <laughs> See, this is how I feel when y'all ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, whose wedding was interrupted? 
Oh, I knew I should have written down their names. Angelo Martin and Robert Tomlinson. Yeah, close enough. Tomlinson. Tomlinson, yeah, sorry. Yeah, close enough. Um, How long did it take the Enterprise to get to Outpost 4? Oh, you're stealing one of my questions. (laughs) Um, Wasn't it 30 minutes? It's not what I have written down. I have eight minutes at full speed. Mm Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yay! Something else was 30 minutes. What color are uh, Uhura's earrings? I did not write that down. Megan's stealing my strategy right here, and I didn't even (laughs) use my own strategy in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess like a a bluish purple. No. I I thought they were green. They were. Yay! Well, I think I'm going to be going first on the next uh, quiz. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so my last question. Who was the commander of Outpost 4? Um, Oh, maybe. I have so much stuff written down, I can't find my freaking notes. (laughs) Was it Commander Hansen? Yes. That's what I had as well. All right, those are my five. All right. Aaron's in the lead with three and a half points. I only have two. All right, Aaron, you get to go next. Okay. Well, since Megan stole my my first question, um, we'll go on to my the next one on my list. Uh, it was mentioned multiple times that Outposts two and three were destroyed before the attack on Outpost four. A fourth outpost was destroyed. What number was it? Do you know, Megan? I would have seen it was Outpost 1, but I have no idea. I think, it, I think it was 8. It was 8. Wow. Yeah, so I don't know why it was 2, 3, 4, and 8, but uh, that's. You wouldn't think they would be was. near each other. <laughs> well, I don't were, think they were. Um, yeah. I don't think. I don't think they were. I think they, they may have hit Outpost 8 and then kind of did a, well, let's kind of you know, jump the other direction so they don't follow us or whatever, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Okay. So we see um, Spock holding a piece of the shield from the outpost. What was it made of? Castrodidium? Or it was something like that. Rodinium, yeah. Castrodidium. Yep, that is correct. So mm-hmm. Megan gets on the board. Woohoo! Got one point. <laughs> Okay, now, uh, when we see inside the uh, Romulan ship, um, we see that an officer was responsible for sending the coded message, but he did so without authorization. What was his punishment? Uh, He was reduced two ranks and sent back to his post. That is correct. Okay. Okay, um, when the Enterprise was sending um, communications back to the nearest command post, how long was it going to take them to receive a reply? Oh, I knew I should have wrote this down. <laughs> and I didn't. Um, wasn't it three hours? It was. You're doing very well, Sarah. Yeah, I'm going to be going first next week, too. All right. Now, um, the Romulans mentioned that they had old-style nuclear weapons on board. 
Why did they carry them? For the self-destruct. That or is to, correct. Yeah, to blow up the ship. That's correct. Yeah, I didn't know that one. All right. So, doing pretty well there. You guys did a good job. Yeah, so Aaron says at three and a half points, Megan with three, and I have six. Mm-hmm. All right. So for my questions, um, what is the star date given at the beginning of the episode? I have that written down. Oh, uh, I wrote down the one on the captain's log. Maybe that's the same thing. Uh, I have 1709.2. That's what I have as well. Yep, that's right. Okay, what is the name of the comet that Kirk mentions in the briefing room? I had a hard time catching it, um, so I didn't end up writing it down. <laughs> when you asked that question, I was like, he talked about a comet? So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, he calls it Comet Icarus 4. Uh. Okay, in that same scene, we see a book sitting on the table. What is the title of the book? Oh my goodness, I didn't even try to look at that. <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to ask this. Observations. And I didn't write it down, because I couldn't see it very well. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Because I even I was like, man, what is the title of that book? Yep, I don't know. See, that's when you got to like pause it and look at it. <laughs> I'm giving you some tips here. Oh, thank you. Uh, the, the title of the book is The Table of Comets. Ah, I figured it okay, had something to so do with the comets, but... <laughs> here's why I couldn't figure out what it was saying. I thought it said table of contents, and I knew that that was not right. Well, so yeah. It's like, it's like I, don't, I don't know what that's supposed to be. <laughs> table so, of contents for what? I don't know. That's why I knew it wasn't right. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, you should have paused it and looked at it. <laughs> I should have. All right. How many questions is that? Is that three? I think so. I think so. On the uh, graph that we see of the neutral zone and the two sides, what there are two planets listed on the Romulan side. One is Romulus. What was the other one? I wrote Remus. this down because it stood out to me. And it was it was written... I was expecting it to be Remus, but it was written as, like, Romai? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I, I mean... And Remus was what was mentioned in the episode. I thought it was weird to have them in some odd Latin uh, derivative to have that on screen, but it's they did mention Romulus and Remus in the episode. They mentioned yeah. it, but that's not what was written on the uh It's not. So um yeah, I'll give that one to you, Aaron. It's actually pronounced Rami E. Okay. Uh I know this because I took Latin, so <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah I thought it was strange. Yeah. All right. What do I want my last question to be? I feel like this is an easy one, but I'll just do it. What element was the uh, asteroid made out of? Almost solid iron. Yeah. Did you have that yes. one, Erin? I did, yes. All right. Well, dadgummit. Erin, you beat me by half a point on that <laughs> one. Yay. So Erin has five and a half points. I have five or no, six and a half points. I have six, and Megan, you have five. So, just missed it. So I get to ask the questions again next time. Yeah. 
But those were really good questions this time. We're we're really uh, dialing in on, um, you know, what <laughs> what we can ask and and really stump each other. Yeah, I tried to I tried to make him hard this time. Yeah, um, it's kind of an advantage though going first because nobody takes your questions. That's true. <laughs> yes, that is true. Well, congratulations uh, once again, Aaron and. We will move on to our What Did You Think segment of this episode. Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And Aaron, since you won the quiz, what did you think about this episode? (laughs) I thought it was definitely very interesting. I did not know that this was necessarily a complete introduction of the Romulans. Um, So there was some interesting moments in there um as far as learning about them and i knew i think i knew it was the first time they'd shown them um but i there were other little tidbits in there i thought was really interesting um but it also was interesting from the aspect of how different um some of the you know first season star trek um things are from what we later come to know of star trek so uh i i quite enjoyed it megan yeah i loved this episode i thought for something that was picked randomly this was like a great episode um for us to review that um that yeah with aaron i is introduces the romulans in um which you know there's an interesting history already built in um with the romulan empire and the federation and um to have that first glimpse of a uh new enemy uh potential enemy species um i just i thought the episode was incredibly well done um for what it was i mean i usually you know watching original series it gets a little hokey with what was done but i loved um this episode i was actually very pleasantly surprised by how much i enjoyed watching it yeah i agree um i think it tied in quite a bit to the current uh picard stuff that we're watching since it does deal with romulans um for me it was really interesting going back and seeing the origins of some stuff in star trek nemesis Um, that I thought was just kind of out of the blue because I hadn't seen this episode before. Mm. Um, And then just kind of seeing the foundations of the Romulans being laid that was carried over into TNG and uh, the rest of Star Trek. So it was also interesting just seeing kind of how consistent they were with some of the Romulan stuff, uh, even back in this series. I was expecting them to be um, a lot more... Uh, different a lot different than what we were used to um so i was kind of pleasantly surprised that this was a really good solid foundation for what was to come later so uh yeah i i I enjoyed it and uh it makes me look forward to watching more of the original series because i feel like there's a ton of stuff in that i know about in tng that um has a lot more background in the original series so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I can totally see why um, this episode was voted as a fan favorite out of all the um, 
episodes of the entire Star Trek uh, world that this was a, and that like, I think it was a top 10 favorite episode. So mm. I can see why it was really good. There were definitely some, um, like in, you know, all of like the Star Trek specials and stuff that they would make back in the 90s. I remember that speech. They would always put that speech of McCoy's in there mm-hmm. where he's talking to Jim Kirk and, uh, I was surprised that that was from this episode. I was like, "Yeah, I've seen this." this I was like too. A famous yeah. Speech yeah. in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, I actually had written down um, that last line. He says, "Don't destroy the one named Kirk," because um, that was actually the title given to a piece of fan art that I really enjoy. And of course, it's a a drawing of McCoy. So. Uh, I had no idea it was in this episode either. Yeah, and that's the one line that um, I wasn't familiar with in that speech because most of the clips that have been done on this that have, like Sarah said, shown up in these TV shows, it stops with the statistics of mm. only one of each of us. And I thought the next line was so much better <laughs> to include in with that. I know. So, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Those statistics, by the way, are out of date. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, we we know that there are a lot more planets and galaxies than what he mentioned. Um, but of course, I was pre-Hubble telescope and all of that. So yeah. Um, which, by the way, they also made that same mistake in Picard uh, in one of those episodes we we watched, and I forgot to mention that. I think it was Gerardi that said something like there are three billion stars in the galaxy. Well, oh, we yeah. know that there are like a hundred billion, like that's hmm. the scientific fact. So that was very strange that they screwed that up. Hmm. It was just really cool to see the origins of the neutral zone. The things that stuck out to me, of course, when they first said Romulus and Remus, I was really surprised that they said that because that is what Nemesis is built on. Hmm. And I always thought that they created the idea of Remus just for Nemesis because I'd never heard of it mentioned in TNG before. So I had no idea that it was actually in the original series and that they were drawing on that for the movie. So I thought that was interesting. And then you also, on top of that, have mentions of the Praetor and stuff, which again is a Nemesis. And I thought that was just made up for the movie. (laughs) So, um, so I kind of had a, a bit of an education here on the history of the Romulans um, yeah. regarding that stuff. Yeah, I I did know about Romulus and Remus, um, but I think maybe for Nemesis, and someone out there can correct us if we're wrong, but I think the Reman people were what was invented for um, Nemesis, Um because that's the, that was the the first time that I've heard that there was a separate, maybe subspecies of Romulan, um, mm. than uh, just having Romulans on these two planets. Okay, yeah, that might be it. I feel like there was something that was new in Nemesis regarding that. So, yeah, I had heard of there being the two planets, and of course we we talk a lot in Star Trek about Romulus. Um, but we we don't really talk about Remus, but uh, I knew like that was the reason um, in the um, the Romulan symbol that we see mainly in in Next Generation of the 
the large bird holding two planets. You know, one was supposed to be Romulus and the other was Remus. But uh, yeah, I I'll, assumed that it went all the way back to the beginning of the Romulans because, of course, that goes back to the or the origin of those names, which is the, you know, the founders of Rome. So, um, mm. you know, it ties in together and of course they they go full on with the the roman references with the you know centurion and praetor and and all of that kind of thing yeah and uh decius and it's all just latin stuff basically yeah um it's really interesting to me i've always thought it was i don't know kind of silly not really silly but just interesting to me that star trek got away with creating this um, alien species based on Greek mythology. <laughs> like, they just stole it right out of Greek mythology and made it up, you know, and put it in the Star Trek universe. Um, that may be kind of later like... that they didn't continue the the Roman names of these characters in yeah. later series, but kept the, the titles and things that way. Well, I mean, just having the gall to use the name Romulus. They've never been, like, that on the nose with alien species before i feel like the other like the klingons and stuff aren't really well the uh, vulcans vulcan was the the fire god Mm -hmm. right so So, you know it it comes from a lot of roman mythology and and all that sort of thing so yeah yeah. i'm just uh like i don't think i as a creator would have had the nerve to do that no i wouldn't either i mean there if I'm remembering correctly, there's another episode in um, the original series that uses some of the the Greek gods and things like that. But it's mm-hmm. it's basically yeah. implying that you know these are aliens that influenced Earth, and you know we're kind of like you know basically this is the origin of the Greek gods, not the other way around. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it it did always stand out to me as you know, it seems really strange that that you could just say, "Oh, well, let's just structure this whole thing about a- ancient Rome, and we'll just throw it in there, and you know, everybody will accept it as an alien race." Yeah, <laughs> maybe no one will know. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I've seen, um, I've seen that type of stuff in Star Trek before, even in the later series where they they'll pull from you know some historical figure or something like that, but it's usually a, a little bit more obscure. Than um, like the most famous Greek <laughs> mythology there is with Romulus and Remus and how they created Rome and all of that stuff. So, uh, but th- th- you know, I I like it. I like the Romulans. Yeah, it ended up working out. It's just yeah. uh, funny how it, um, like you say, is is so right on it. <laughs> mm. I think for me, it was pretty interesting to hear how the you know in this episode. Uh, it was just over a hundred years ago that the uh, neutral zone was established between earth and uh, the Romulan empire um, that it was, they fought with primitive atomic weapons before this uh, as you know, earth is, you know, first, you know, really venturing into space um, and that they've never seen each other before. So Romulans don't know what humans look like. Um, humans don't know what Romulans look like. And they conducted this whole negotiation to establish this neutral zone um, via subspace radio. And then you see for 
us and how storytelling has advanced um, technology-wise. And then you have Enterprise, the the TV show Enterprise that comes out in the early 2000s to where this, you know, sort of in that same, that is that era of um, almost of uh, this conflict where they do have (laughs) visual communications and uh, things like that. So I just thought it was interesting to see um, what in the 1960s and 70s, how this was interpreted of being done versus what in the 2000s, the same type of era. So, well, see, there's an example of canon not being followed by uh, <laughs> later series, so which is a common complaint for the um, Picard series, I guess. Yeah, but, I mean, that stuff has, has happened throughout Star Trek, so. I think uh, this episode, I got a, a lot of vibes that this was paralleling um, the Korean conflict with the neutral zone um, and the demilitarized zone. The you know all the atomic weapon references and stuff. I feel like they were trying to kind of add some messages about the Cold War sort of in this episode. Did you guys pick mm. up on that at all? I didn't, but I think that's that's probably more because I'm not as much of a, a history-minded person. Now that you say it, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that very yeah. well could be. Um, yeah, I did a little bit of research into this episode um, after I watched it. And yeah, it was like um, between the Korean War and Vietnam and... Um, the cold war stuff that was going on that yeah this is a very much of a parallel a parallel between you know what was going on then and star trek which is what they did so fantastically um in this series well it would be a very rod and very thing to do where he was i think the uh kirk was supposed to represent represent kind of like the united states and then um what was a Romulan commander's name? Did we know that at all in this episode? I don't, I don't think it was I don't ever think said. So, I think he was yeah. just commander. Okay, well that guy, uh, I think he was supposed to represent the Soviet Union at the time, and then of course you have the, uh, you know, the Korea parallels. But I feel like Roddenberry was probably trying to push the idea of you know the danger of all the tensions escalating. There's a lot of stuff that happened in the '60s that escalated the cold war almost to the point of actual fighting that's kind of what happened in this episode Mm. is they were really close to to starting a war um but at the last minute they decided to both back down and i think that was i don't i mean i don't know this is just a guess but I'm, i'm thinking that's gene roddenberry kind of making people think about your enemy and i don't know not maybe a pacifist sort of attitude to, you know, maybe our enemies aren't so different from us because he was, they were talking about how Kirk and that Romulan commander were so alike Mm. at the end. And of course the name balance of terror also is, is a reference to the cold war because the United States and and the Soviet union were uh, basically equal enemies Mm. at that point, as far as firepower and all of that stuff goes. Um, so I just saw a lot of that type of stuff in this. And of course, Kirk made the reference to, uh, you know, keep your bigotry off Right, the I was about to say, it brought yeah. in racism as well with Styles, whatever rank he was, um, you know, saying all of his racist comments and Kirk uh, aimed towards Spock and Kirk, you know, having to tell him 
you know, you need to basically stop <laughs> doing what you're doing. This is dumb for you to be doing this. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, to have that as another issue that was brought in, which was so heavily prevalent in society at the time. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately still is today. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that the choices made of, um, having Mark Leonard, who also plays Sarek. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Which I don't think he had at that point yet. I, I, I thought that he was Sarek when he first showed up. I was mm. like, oh, wait, whoa, that's Sarek. What the heck's going on? And then they cut to Spock yeah. and Spock is like, looks shocked. Mm. And I thought, well, he's looking at he he recognizes his dad on this Romulan ship. What the heck's <laughs> going on? You know, and yeah. then it never materialized. So I was really confused about that. Yeah, no, it was just the same actor, but um, yeah. I, I don't know whether that was done. Like you say, I can't remember if he had played Sarek up to this point. I, I'm not sure, but I don't think um, he had. I think I, yeah. I looked at that um, on Saturday, no Friday when I watched this, um, and I don't think he had. I think that was probably one of the reasons why he was cast as Sarek later. Mm. Um, was because he did such a good job in this episode. Um, in fact, in one of the research I, and looking at back on um, stuff for this episode that um, Mark Leonard said out of this multiple Star Trek characters he's played because he's not just been these two characters. I think he's played mm. a Klingon and um, something else um, that uh, he said this one was his favorite one to play. Hmm. Um, just for this one episode. So, I mean, it, it seems like out of the ones we're from, super familiar with him playing, I mean, you know, to play a Vulcan, you're um, not emotive. Um, so I could see why he would have had a good time um, yeah. portraying this character. Yeah, he's very um, demonstrative and stuff in this and very, um, very emotional, but a controlled emotional um, so yeah, I thought it was an interesting way of, of showing the difference between the Romulans and the Vulcans. And I didn't realize going into this episode that the Vulcans had not seen the Romulans and didn't realize the common ancestry and all of that sort of thing. So when, of course, they are talking about, um, the humans haven't seen Romulans and all that sort of thing. Of course, I'm now also thinking back to Enterprise, where in these first couple episodes we've watched, we very much have T'Pol kind of holding information back because she's not been allowed to tell the humans things um, up to this point. So I had kind of assumed that, well, why... It, is Spock holding back and not telling them, you know, what he knows about the Romulans or, but then to get that uh, statement later from Spock saying, well, you know, um, clearly <laughs> we can tell that there, this has been a shared ancestry and all of this sort of thing. So I thought that was very interesting to see that um, the Romulans have been so secretive up to this point that they they haven't even let other people see them at all. How did that work? Um, they were able to just basically hack into the Romulan <laughs> bridge or something. I was going to bring this up too. Yeah. 
that seemed there are a couple of things in this episode that I'm like, wow, this Enterprise is just doing things that, you know, ships later cannot do. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely one of them of, wow, they can just follow a signal back and turn the cameras on. and <laughs> Way more advanced than the Enterprise D. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the other thing that that really caught me that way was um, the Enterprise is is firing their phasers at maximum warp um, as they're chasing the the Romulan ship, and you know because they they said go to to full speed, and then he's like fire phasers, and I was like, oh well, that's that's kind of an interesting thing going on there too. Yeah, but the phasers fired like photon torpedoes. Did you? Yep. So for, it to, for the <laughs> whole ship to, cool. to dim and rock as they're firing. Yeah. Um, I thought, wow, those things that were done to enhance dramatic effect back then um, <laughs> that just don't, Yeah, we don't have. Of course, that was like pre-torpedo days um, for, you know, Star Trek. They just had the phasers. Um, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting interesting way to do that i like the phaser effect on this i thought it was more powerful looking than the tng version of the phaser Mm. i like the tng effect where it like goes around the saucer section. like you can see it loading up around the saucer section on the outside like powering up and then it shoots i like that effect but it the tng phaser looks way less powerful for some reason than this one did because it was like a pulsating type thing i don't know yeah Yeah. and i think the the difference with this one was uh, like megan said um i didn't realize it was pre-torpedo idea so that makes sense why they would have it look like that and not worry about it conflicting with the torpedoes so um yeah but when they they must have decided oh we want this to be more of a beam weapon than a um a bolt kind of thing so uh, that must have been why they made the difference and the romulans were shooting photon for torpedoes though i mean what was that the first time it happened i, was, I had no idea what was going on because it was like a fireball and then nothing on the screen i didn't understand what was going on but it, i think that was supposed to be a photon torpedo i don't think it was just a phase like energy ball um okay. i don't know that that torpedo wouldn't have just fizzled out you would still would have had something physical mm. um there yeah they never really explain it they just kind of call it the weapon yeah <laughs> i did think it was interesting that they could outrun it or yeah not necessarily outrun it but out just outlast it well and i had written down that this is the the age old why not just move to the side right i, I thought that situation <laughs> i thought that too like you're in space, you can move in any direction right. at all. Just right. go up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Do you think it could follow too. them up? Like well, we see, have we have missiles now that can do that. But I was thinking of along the lines of what Megan is saying is where it's it's not a controlled thing. It's it's just going to move in a straight line. Um so but what like, if it doesn't? What if it actually has like the ability to follow you? Well, then you still try and outrun it. You know, um, but that they didn't even try to go any other direction. They just, you know, went to full warp and kept going with this thing on their tail. Well, yeah, but I mean, all Star Trek 
does that. Yeah. Well, but that's what I mean. It's the age old yeah. thing of, you know, yeah. every hero just runs straight forward away from the boulder that's rolling after him, you know, just jump yeah. to the side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did y'all notice that every time they would order um, to go to full warp and you'd have a look at the view screen and the star field was barely moving? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, so we're at full warp. Okay. Well, I mean, at least they don't make a huge deal out of it like they did in the cave. Where <laughs> no. It takes them like five minutes to go to warp. <laughs> oh, that's true, too. Yeah. And then they launch into the uh, the, the main theme song yeah. as they're going. The theme go- song as they go into warp. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny just listening to the bridge sounds on this. Just mm. a lot of kind of like bebops going on the whole time. <laughs> I also thought it was interesting how they, they have it much more like um a naval ship or something um it very much like a submarine actually where you know when they they went into a a low power mode so the romulans couldn't see them and they were literally whispering so that they don't get they they aren't heard um and things like um they can push a button on on the bridge to fire the phasers but that's that only makes a signal down in the weapon room where then they literally have to to fire the the phasers or Kirk gives the command which then you know made me wonder why the the phaser control circuit was on the bridge when all it really did was make a signal down to the engine there or the weapon room um so yeah it it was definitely much less of a you know, here's the control room and it does everything that we get. It wasn't get very in... streamlined, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was more like something we would see in a ship today. Yeah, I did think it was interesting when they were in that scene where they were having to be so quiet that it cut to um, another scene, which probably was in a different, um, originally in a different portion of the show. Um, but it cuts to Picard and his, or not Picard, to Kirk in his, um, I guess his quarters and he's having a normal level conversation. And then he <laughs> goes up to the bridge and it's, everybody's got to whisper like, well, I think in low power, like if you're, this is truly low power mode, everybody on the entire ship would have to be quiet the entire time. I don't, I don't understand this. I, cause the Romulans, I didn't notice them whispering until the Romulans were doing it on their ship. And I was like, why are they whispering? Like they can't know they can't hear you. Can they? It was sort of the equivalent of like a submarine, you know, two submarines, enemy submarines that are trying to find each other um, using passive sonar um, instead of active sonar. So then passive sonar, they're going to pick up sound. Um, so you want everything to be as quiet as possible um, so sound, that sound, sound doesn't is... travel in space. I know, but... <laughs> Still, I mean, it, it's just that same idea um, that yeah, they all be have more to be quiet. On, more on the sensors rather than on literal sonar kind of thing. Okay. I mean, that was the this idea not, of it, but... This is, no. not, this, is so, this is not an idea that continued in, in Star Trek. Cause no. This, this never no. was an issue in TNG with clothes. No. Yeah. No. Well, and I also thought it was interesting that with this cloak, the the enterprise was able to track them you know it could track their movement but it wasn't until they were sitting still that the enterprise couldn't really find them you know they, they hadn't they worked could... out the cloaking stuff yet 
on this. Obviously. Yeah, but it was it was neat to see the origin of that idea and yeah. them talking about how much power it takes them to to do that, and so they have to, you know, n- not run other systems and and that sort of thing. It's kind of like the holodeck in season one of TNG, where all the rules were broken <laughs> that they later <laughs> like, figured oh, yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Wes like having dripping wet out of the holodeck. Oh yeah, and characters could like walk out, and then they would they would eventually disappear. But it took a little bit. So hmm. I thought it was weird that they were constru- uh, constructing these outposts inside asteroids. Don't asteroids move through um, space? It- it probably depends on the the asteroid. Um, I know, you know, our solar system has an asteroid belt, and I do believe that those are are moving like they're orbiting the sun. Um, but um, I, I'm not sure. I have heard of things, you know, being built in asteroids and that sort of thing, but um, they're usually things that aren't necessarily in one spot like these outposts would want to be. Maybe I just need to do more research on asteroids, but I I always have in my brain the um the movie Armageddon where they're mm. having to blow up the asteroid, you know, and it's like moving really fast through space and I was like why would you want to how how first of all would you even build a outpost inside one of those things and why would you want to? But mm. there must be more to asteroids than I know. So well, and there's definitely other things in, I'm pretty sure in Star Trek that are, you know, they're built on asteroids or they're in amongst asteroids and things like that. Well, I'm sure we'll run into that. Yeah, I did think it was an interesting choice that they made to have these spy stations, you know, set up on asteroids on the solid line mm. <laughs> on the, yeah. the the Federation side of the neutral zone, so with nothing that I remember being on the Romulan side of the neutral zone. Oh, when they showed that chart on the screen, you'd think they would have at least some kind of counterpart station on the other side, but yeah. Well, and Romulus they looks really close to the neutral zone. It did. Map. Yeah. And the, the Romulans may have had something, but it may just have been that the, the, um, the Federation didn't have the Intel on where it was. Right. That's true. What did you guys think about the um, bird of prey drawing on the bottom of the ship? I like actually laughed when I saw that. I was like, because it looks like a cartoon at first mm. to me. I've well, never seen that on Star Trek, a painting like that on the bottom of a ship. Yeah. I used to have a model of that type of Romulan ship, so I was totally expecting it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen it before too, so it wasn't a, a surprise to me. Mm. But it was on the when we talked about Picard, it was on that romulan ship too i think it was on the top of it not the bottom but Hmm. oh i didn't notice that i don't remember seeing i think it was on the bottom if it was there i don't remember noticing it but it may just have been a detail that didn't stick with me but i'm i'm thinking back to that scene and i'm pretty sure it was not on the top yeah it may not have been i do remember hopefully my memory's not terrible i do remember seeing it (laughs) because that's when it made me go oh this is the the same class that's in the original series um, mm. Yeah, I did also know there were a couple of other things that um, stood out to me as something funny in the, the way that it was, um, the whole episode was filmed and things, you know, uh, we have Kirk, 
I'm assuming he was in his quarters when when Bones came to see him. Um, but uh, I just thought it was interesting that both Yeoman Ran and Bones just walk in. Right. They they, <laughs> yeah. they they didn't ring the doorbell or anything. Um, and then the other thing that kind of made me smile was um, at one point we have the, the Enterprise, you know, they're bracing for impact with this dissipating Romulan weapon. And when it hits the ship... Kirk and Uhura kind of jump towards the the right hand side of the screen and everyone else goes left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. So it was like, you know, the the whole thing of uh, of it just being difficult to to coordinate all of that stuff. They didn't yeah. have their spaceship acting down yet. No. no. I noticed too on um I felt sort of bad for Nichelle Nichols that um, when she was ordered to take over, um, I guess, Khan um, in the episode, and she gets up and her uniform, I don't know if you noticed it, but it was split in the back so that when she sat, it looked nice in her lap. Um, but when she sat, got up to walk forward, it was like this V in the back with her red um, matching underwear on oh. over her tights. Did, I, I did like, not notice that. I was like, huh. Someone it was didn't really think that quick. Through. Yeah, no, I noticed something really weird with her uniform, but I didn't. I didn't really go back and look. I was like, okay, that something looked odd there. Yeah, that, but... I mean that V was like too that like it was a high high waist um, red matching underwear. Hmm. Um, it was a very that... short skirt. Oh yeah. oh yeah, but the V went like almost to the top of that. Like it was just this super wide cut on this hmm. uniform, so that it would draped nice in her lap um so it was very obviously designed for her not to ever get up (laughs) for that to be seen speaking of uniforms did you guys notice the tear in kirk's uniform this whole freaking episode no on his shoulder no it was on his shoulder up close to his collar he had like a one inch tear huh that was just wide open (laughs) like i don't know why they didn't just sew it up really quickly um yeah, but I noticed that in this whole... He, it was for the whole episode, too. Wow. Yeah. I did notice that it was like almost like a terry cloth type material. Yeah. It's like, well, that's a weird choice to have. <laughs> um, it looks like a wool type uh, material, which is some, the same thing that they made the TNG uniforms out of. If you look at the TNG uniforms in the HD up close, you can see it has kind of that... Um, I don't even know how to how to describe it, but like almost a woolly texture mm. to it. It's not smooth. Yeah, it seems like a a lot of um, things like that. Um, when it's a, a structured uniform like that, they do tend to use a wool or a wool type uh, material. Because I just remember um, listening to a um, behind the scenes thing from uh, actually from galaxy quest uh, and they were talking about you know the the costumes and um, being out in the desert for these certain scenes and saying you know being out here and in the desert in a a wool uniform and a a a rubber head it was you know alan rickman saying because he had to wear that um aesthetic piece (laughs) and uh you say you know it's it's kind of challenging out here (laughs) the poor star trek actors had to do that all the time oh yeah yeah. 
Yeah, I just keep thinking about, you know, I, I'm semi-allergic to wool. That would not go well. Mm. <laughs> well speaking of that yeoman, mm-hmm. what, do you think she had a thing for Kurt? Because she kept, like, following him very closely in this. Yeah. <laughs> like, they start getting into this, this battle, and she, like, walks up and just stands right behind. Like, she's breathing down his neck, and then she, like, hugs him when they um when the firing starts mm. and kirk just is like he, he hugs her uh kirk got a lot of hugs in this episode from yeah. <laughs> these women i just this is kind of odd well i know she's um like the captain's assistant because it's in a, a different episode he's lamenting the fact that he has a woman um a, an attractive woman who's his um assistant and so i think she's also in charge of like the official um ship's log so that i think that's the thing that she's wearing all the time um so that would explain you know why she was um there on the bridge with him because she did ask do you want me to keep recording this and he told her yes so um well there's a funny line from like keeping her and like her you know you know going to him for comfort that was you know very much um out of not character but out of style of what you would think Mm. should happen Um, you would never see that that on tng i don't think i don't remember characters hugging each other there's a for sure like professional distance that needs to be maintained yeah and she just like aaron says she just walks into his quarters while he's laying down too it's just yeah and then the uh angela you know, hugs him at the mm. end uh, as well. I mean, she just goes right in for the hug. Um, so uh, I just—it's an interesting character piece for Kirk that um, he gets all of these hugs from his subordinate female officers <laughs> on this ship. Yeah, I think it's—it's it's probably those sorts of things that kind of um, developed the uh, the persona of Kirk as this uh, womanizer, which you know. I've heard people say he really doesn't have that many relationships in the series and stuff. I'm like, well, it's got to come from somewhere and it may be that those sorts of things too. Yeah, it could be. I've heard that too, where he, the reputation is not, I mean, the reputation is way bigger than the actual, um, you know, experiences the character had on the show. I hear that Riker is way more of a womanizer than Kirk ever was, but (laughs) I don't know. Well, we'll have to see. Yeah. I did, though. I picked up a lot of, surprisingly, a lot of uh, Picard-like behavior in Kirk in this. Kirk was very diplomatic Mm. um, in a lot of moments in this, uh, especially handling uh, styles and stuff. I could could have easily substituted Picard um, in, in that role and had him say some of those lines and i think it would have been in character for picard too yeah i think picard maybe would have been a little bit more uh proactive with styles i think he would have given one warning and should that you know officer say something again i think that officer would have been dismissed from the bridge um for acting that way um but yeah he definitely was not the he was the more the diplomatic than the action um character that we're more accustomed to seeing it just kind of surprised me a little bit because of, again, his reputation of being like this super like brash, action-oriented captain. And he was a lot more reserved in this. 
than I had expected him to be. Well, even even to the fact that he was refusing to enter the neutral zone and, you know, breach the, the treaty and all of that sort of thing. Um, I thought that was interesting that you had him trying very much to do things um, by the book and not worry about um, or actually worry about um, what Starfleet would think and, and all that sort of thing rather than just trying to do it the, the easy and expedient way or um, the the more bold way. I thought it was interesting too that he announces um, to the entire ship as they're, I think they were heading to Outpost War that um, basically here's, we've been ordered, you know, not to at all cost do not start a war. Basically do not enter the, the neutral zone, do not start a war and that we are considered expendable mm. to, um, to that end. Um, so I thought it was interesting that you had announced that to the entire ship's crew um, before you head into whatever the situation was going to be. You would think that a Starfleet crew would already know that, but... Or, I mean, or, uh, I was more thinking the opposite. Do you do you tell everyone on the ship that Starfleet considers us, you know, expendable? That it's, it's more like the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and the many is Federation and peace. Um, mm -hmm. so to that end if we're destroyed in this we're destroyed in this it's just an odd thing to bring up though because i i feel like they're trained to to know that <laughs> you know uh like that's the assumption going out there into space that that situation might occur um i don't know i mean I, maybe he was just trying to prepare them for what was about to happen but I don't know. It's, it's like, it's kind of like, I, I know the Starfleet is not a pure military organization, but that is part of their function. And um, it would be very odd for a captain of a naval vessel during a time of war to make that sort of speech to his crew. Yeah. Another thing I found interesting in this episode was the styling of the Romulans. Um, the helmets were an interesting choice. Wasn't quite oh, sure I, exactly what that was about. I do but... know why they did that. Because um, that I, was also in the research of the episode, is that um, they didn't have enough of the Rom the Vulcan ears for everybody, uh, so oh. they they repurposed, um, I think Roman like Roman soldier helmets from one of the other movies, um, and the just that they had in costuming um, to uh, create that. Because I noticed um, in uh, one of the scenes that Mark Leonard was in that there was like this hard line of where the earpiece prosthetic was on that they mm. didn't blend in. Um, so I was like, well, well, that's weird. And so I was like, <laughs> well, I'm going to look at, at um, Leonard Nimoy's ears the next time and see if he also has this weird, just <laughs> straight line where this prosthetic just fitted over his, his ear. Um, his is much better blended, but you still saw a little bit of a line, but not just like straight, you know, line that you see on mark leonard's so um but yeah it's just they just didn't have enough prosthetics um, yeah i i think it's it's neat that you actually dug up that information because um that kind of hit me towards the end of the episode i went wait a minute that's why they're wearing helmets so they don't have to put ears on them 
Yeah. It also had that kind of like 50s sci-fi vibe because mm. you, you see those types of like helmets a lot in sci-fi from that era. The uh, actual costumes that they were using were interesting too. You can definitely see the evolution from that to the TNG Romulans. Oh, yeah. Um, and then to Nemesis, which is almost just an updated version of the TOS Romulan uh, costumes. I don't remember. They didn't have any of the color pieces of fabric that must denote something um, that we saw because there's several different colors on the um, the Romulans in this episode that had like that shoulder cloth. Mm. Yeah. Um, that I was, you know, I was like, well, I wonder what those mean, but you, you don't know because <laughs> this is this one episode so yeah it, it uh, I'm, I'm glad though that you could definitely see the similarities i mean obviously the tng romulans look different but it wasn't like so different that it wasn't believable that they would look with their costuming would look like that 100 years later or whatever because yeah. you could see the origins of it one other thing i picked up on on this episode that i thought was really cool was in the beginning um, of the episode where Kirk goes to perform the wedding ceremony, um, the first two lines that he says are the exact words that Picard says in Data's Day on TNG. Hmm. So I thought that was a cool like callback that TNG did to the original series by using those exact same uh, words for the wedding ceremony there. Yeah, they. I didn't notice, but yeah, you're right. It definitely sounded familiar, um, whether it's a, a takeoff on something that uh, that is kind of a written sort of naval ceremony, or um, I'm not sure, um, or if I had just kind of picked up on that from uh, the TNG uh, era and all that sort of thing. I one just a very brief moment in this that I liked was um, I thought it was cool by the first season that they already had Scotty and um, Kirk's characters the interaction between those down Pat because Kirk all all he had to do was walk over to Scotty and he was like I you know I'll we're, I'll get it done as fast as I can or whatever <laughs> you know he knew exactly what Kirk was about to tell him yeah and Scotty was already you know. I'll, I'll get more more speed out of her, Captain. You yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did notice um, in the episode all of the dramatic lighting around Kirk's eyes mm -hmm. on the close-ups. So I was like, wow, how annoying is that as an actor to where you have this framed lighting just to be in your eyes <laughs> for mm -hmm. these for these scenes? Don't uh, move. Don't yeah, move. don't don't move. <laughs> don't don't breathe. Yeah. It, just be right there. Um, I kept thinking, okay, this is that's a little overdone for this episode. I get it. You this episode is dramatic. You you need a little bit of dramatic lighting, but you don't need it on every scene, <laughs> almost. Yeah, I want to say that that was so iconic that it was actually um, put into a scene or two in the the newer movies as well, just as kind of a reference. Um, but I think it was a lot more uh, subtly done. And, you know, like you say, not for every single scene. Well, it's not as bad as Discovery's um, <laughs> scene. The last one that we watched where Burnham was on trial, basically. And oh, all yeah. the lights were off and the, like not one 
they have one light shining on her, I think, and the entire rest of the room is just dark. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, this is not real. Like, there's Why would they have the lights off in this room? Yeah. So, I mean, the only other observation I had on this was um, the graphic that they showed of the neutral zone and stuff on the screen. It reminded me quite a bit of the um, graphics that NASA used at the uh, Houston Space Center uh, during the Apollo missions and so forth, um, which I like going back and learning about that type of stuff. So, you know, it, it was very reminiscent of the type of graphs that uh, NASA had up on the the screens in the, contr- um, the control room hmm. that all of the uh, engineers and stuff were using to track the Apollo capsule and, and everything like that. Um, so obviously they kind of used that, I think, I would imagine, as inspiration for uh, this sort of graphic that they used on this episode. Um, speaking on that, I do have to say, like, um, when they were showing that and they showed, now here's the where the Enterprise is on this um, chart. I had no idea where the Enterprise was. It took, like, several cuts um, to that for me to figure out that the Enterprise was the moving white light. The blinking took, light, yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> took me a little bit to find. I was like, at one point, I'm like, I don't, where is the Enterprise on this? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> It just kind of blended in with the other stars that were on. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, um, I think I've reached the end of my notes on this. Um, you guys have anything else you want to add? Um, one thing that I that I did pick up on that I thought was interesting that um, with the the Romulan ship, unless I'm mistaken, they were basically saying the Romulans only had impulse power. Oh um, yeah, I so... noticed that too. I thought that was interesting that um, here they have, they've advanced their ships in a totally different direction. They've gone for defensive and offensive capabilities, whereas, um, you know, the Federation has gone into more um, propulsion sort of things. Um, And, you know, they have warp drive and that, but because I think there's even a line in there saying that, you know, we have something they don't warp drive. And, um, you know, I thought that was stood out as really interesting. I wonder if that was just due to the sheer, like, power consumption that the cloak was. Because they talked about that, of like, when we need to decloak, it's, we, we're running, we have limited power left. And yeah, um, that the commander's like, no, cloak us back because I don't want them to find us. Mm. Um, so it's, I, I, it makes me wonder if that that was the case. I did not. Um, I just, full confession. I didn't pick up on the fact that that the Federation had war power and the Romulans didn't. But would yeah, that would have taken them forever to get out where they were. Yeah, don't <laughs> much. I don't much less that. between yeah. between the different asteroids that they had to go uh, trying to attack and destroy. So, um, but I, I would feel maybe at that point in the episode after they've done these attack runs that they may not have the power to go to warp anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought that was a very odd thing as well. Um, you just can't you can't travel fast enough with just impulse to get anywhere uh, in the Romulan Empire. I mean, the Romulan Empire is big. Yeah. You know? so, and Spock talks about how much more advanced the Romulans are than the Federation or than Starfleet. Uh, so that's just kind of... A, 
oddball thing that they wouldn't have warp capability yeah. as well. Yeah, I feel like they would almost been like a, a generational ship just to get people out there <laughs> <laughs> to launch from you know Romulus just to get to the neutral zone. I feel like it would have taken years at impulse. Yeah, much less you know attacking the Federation. Oh, did you guys notice the uh, plaque on the bridge by the turbo lift back there? No, I did not. There's a gold plaque um, on the wall that I'm assuming is sort of the same thing as the plaque that's on the Enterprise D bridge mm. that might have like the name of the ship and the registry and some sort of quote on it. At least that's what it looked like it was. I mean, it, it was like blur. It was blurry in the background, so I couldn't read it. But it looked like a gold plaque to me. Yeah, it I could think be. each ship has that. Um, I'm trying to remember if it's ever shown on the Defiant, but it's definitely shown on Voyager. Mm-hmm. Oh, and did you guys notice the the colorful like squares everywhere? Yes. Yeah. Like playing with like there's the, someone the Kirk's data chair. cards or whatever. I don't know what they are. They're just like they look like coasters that are stacked on top of each other. Well, I know they're they're data cards. So like at one point, um, I think it was in this episode because I watched another mm. just on television. The Star Trek episode was on, so I watched it for a little bit. And you um, heard had a a card that she was pulling data from on Kirk's orders, and she puts it in her card slot and finishes whatever she's doing with that data downloads it and then takes the card to Spock for him to do some analysis on. Um, yeah. That was so in this like episode. The precursors to the floppy disk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or flash drive, you know, today, yeah. but yeah. Well, they look like floppy disks though. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I didn't know if they were just like random things that they put on the, the ship to make it look cool. Kind of like those, those jars in sick bay that always had the color liquid in them. We never knew what mm. they were and on the TNG. Remember yeah. those? You just never know when you're going to need some goo. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that will uh, wrap up our discussion of balance of terror. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the, the this, this podcast is, um, is sort of a, a blessing in a way because I would never go back and watch this stuff if we weren't doing this podcast. And mm. I'm really enjoying it, um, getting to know the original series more and Enterprise more, eventually DS9 and, and Voyager as well. So um, there's so much Star Trek that I, I... It's so weird that I consider myself a Trekkie, but I haven't seen the vast majority of Star Trek. Yeah, I actually saw someone put out a tweet once saying, you know, I consider myself a Star Trek fan, but... You know, people have, have told me, oh, you, you can't be a real Star Trek fan if you haven't watched, you know, all the series or, or something like that. And uh, she was literally asking, you know, like, what do you guys think? Am I actually a Trekkie? And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's not about, you know, oh, I'm so dedicated. I've I've watched every single scrap of of Star Trek footage there is to find, and you know, I'm I'm working my way through the books now. Uh, yeah, it's if you're a fan of the show, you're you're a Trekkie or a Trekker or whatever term you prefer. Um, so it, it's not a quantity thing. It's more of a just if you enjoy it and you want to 
be a part of it than you are. I feel like if you know at least one of the series fairly well, then that automatically qualifies you as a Trekkie. Because a lot of this stuff bleeds into each other. I mean, I know a lot of... I'm familiar with a lot of the stuff on the original series because I watched TNG, Hmm. you know? And there's a lot of crossover between that stuff. And... You know, stuff from TNG bleeds into DS9 and Voyager. And, but uh, I'm glad this podcast is giving me the chance to go back and discover a lot of the uh, Star Trek that I don't know about yet. So, Yeah, me too. Well, um, for our next episode, we'll be going back to Picard and talking about episodes five and six. And um, our question for this week is going to be, what is your favorite or who is your favorite Romulan in Star Trek? Mm. Yeah, so we want to have you guys uh, let us know your answers to that, and you will be able to let us know over on our social media pages. Uh, You can find us on Facebook, where we have the Tribbles and Transporters podcast page. Uh, We also have Instagram, which is uh, Tribbles and Transporters podcast, and our Twitter, which is at Tribbles podcast. And then we always have our email, tribblesandtransporters at gmail.com. And the links are in the uh, episode description, as always, if you want a quick way to get to them. Um, do you guys have a favorite Romulan? Uh, yes, and I'm blanking on the character name. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For... Uh, it's oh. Tasha Yar's daughter in Next Sheila? Generation. Yes, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for me, um, I always go to the, um, surprise, surprise, the Romulan that shows up in Voyager. Um, And I've forgotten his name, but uh, it's a very interesting episode that he shows up in. And uh, Mm -hmm. I won't won't spoil it for uh, anyone who doesn't know how that uh, episode works out. I didn't know Romulans were in Voyager. There's just the one, one guy. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, it's a very, that was a good episode too. Yeah. It's a very unique way that it plays out. So, uh, like I say, I won't spoil it. My tendency is to say like ambassador Tomalak in TNG, but I feel like I don't really know. I feel like that I only could do that because he's the most familiar one to me, but you know what? I'm kind of tempted to say, uh, Laris and Savan. Hmm. Or... Oh yeah! Oh, I want to change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even if they're Irish, um, or whatever, <laughs> um, which still does bug me about her character. By the way, uh, they they just made them so like ethnic towards um, a particular culture uh, on Earth. But uh, you know what? I can look past that. I I like their their characters so. Yeah, they they're definitely intriguing characters. Yeah, um, Zaban will be back though. Ooh. So he's slated to be back in episode nine or ten. So he will probably be coming to Picard's rescue at some point. Uh, all right. Well, there you have it. Our favorite Romulans. Our review of Balance of Terror, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, Picard next week. Thanks, guys, for joining us, as always. Uh, Like and rate us on iTunes. Follow us on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.